So let's continue uh, our series on the secret secrets that I can share with you that we've encountered during the last fifty. Uh, We're on number nine, and um, I'd like to put up a, a screen for you. Um, secret number nine is called the Admiration Ladder. Now uh, I want to give a shout out to my good friend Pastor Phil Wagner for coming up with this. Uh, admiration ladder. I think it's absolutely amazing. Let's have a look at the admiration ladder. Uh, there, are these five zones or steps or or uh, whatever you want to call them are actually part of our marriage. Everybody has these things going on in their life. The lowest one is rejection, and then you go to tolerance and uh, acceptance, endorsement, and, and admiration. I'm going to leave it up there for a while. We're going to talk to talk to you about it. Oh, Mike and Sarah made it. There they are. I, we, we made it. Good for you. So you got embarrassed at the shout-out. You decided to come to church. You're just on time. All right. There's the baby saying amen. All right. Hallelujah. All right. So wonderful. Good to have you with us. So most of our marriages have a combination of these various things or levels going on in our life. We start at the, let's start at the very lowest rung, the rejection one. And you may think, well, I'm not sure that I have rejection in my marriage. That's, that's a little harsh. Uh, but let me ask you, what does rejection sound like? Have, have you ever thought or said things like, I wish you were different? Um, I wish you would change? I, I wish you were more like me. All of those thoughts and statements are statements of rejection. Because what you're saying is, I don't want you, I want someone else. That's what you're saying. When you're saying, I, I want you to change, I'm not happy with who you are, what you are, I want you to change. So I'm rejecting you as you are now, because I want somebody else. And the chances are, this could become a real problem, because if you keep focusing on these issues that you don't like in the person, eventually you will change them. You will change them. If they won't change, you will decide to move on. So we are, as married couples, we are very sensitive to what is said, to our words, and also to actions in our marriage. Very sensitive. Okay. And uh, because of the sensitivity, there is a very good possibility that you can misinterpret what is either said or done and think that you're being rejected. Because what Satan wants is you to feel rejected. He wants to break your marriage up. If there's anything he can do, he'd like to break your marriage up. And let's move to the next level, tolerance. Now, um, most relationships don't stay at rejection for too long or forever because something has to give. Can't stay there. You can't live in a marriage where rejection is the order of the day. Something will have to give. So what happens is that couple will, couples will move out of that into tolerance, the tolerance zone. And they will live in the tolerance zone for years, for literally years. So... What do you tolerate in life? Think about this. What do you tolerate in life? Um, how about your neighbor? 
You know, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have a neighbor that has a barking dog? So you are raising your hands. Okay. All right, so let's join in. Uh, how many of you have neighbors that play music that is too loud, that irritates you? Cindy, what does music does that guy play next to us? Is it techno music? Do you, have, you, have you heard it? You've actually heard it. It doesn't matter what time of the day or night. And this is a man in his 50s. See, the problem is he's smoking weed in his garden by the pool. We can smell it. And then he's got this music going. I thought it was because he's got a teenage kid. No, he's the teenager. He just never grew up. So, uh, you know, I mean, what do you tolerate in life? Uh, Over-talkative co-worker. When I want to get on with my job, but they won't stop. They've just got to tell you everything. The biggest problem of your day was when you asked them, how are you doing? <laughs> and then you've learned to avoid that question. Uh, but what do you tolerate, tolerate about your spouse? This is another area altogether. So, you know, we're being vulnerable and being really open here, all right? So before Jackie had the stroke, when she came in the front door, she would kick her high heels off immediately right at the front door. Yeah, yeah Jackie, you remember that? Yeah. And, and she's not going to deny anything. And I would stand on those shoes. I would trip over those shoes, and no matter what I said to her, she would not stop doing that. So what I did is I snored at night. <laughs> I retaliated. Come to find out that I had sleep apnea. But they didn't discover this till I was 69 years old. So I tormented her for 40-something years with the snoring problem. So none of you snore, so you don't even know what I'm talking about. But uh, there, are, there are other things that uh, you, you may be uh, you know, just tolerating, leaving dirty clothes around, dropping the towels on the floor, not cleaning the kitchen afterwards, the dirty dishes. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is, you know, domestic stuff. I'm stirring the pot here. Uh, but here's another thing that, that I, I, I have to tolerate, okay? If somebody uses my car, it could be my children. It used to be Jackie. And I come back, and my seat is not in the place it used to be. It is now somewhere else. I can't see over the dashboard. I can't reach the steering wheel. The mirrors are pointing somewhere else. The sunroof is open. The air is switched off. Hello. So we learn to tolerate these things, but I haven't found a locking system to keep it in place. But there's these different things that we, we tolerate. Uh, what about the honeydews that don't get done? Mm-hmm. Oh, everybody gets them done. Look at that. Just quiet here. <laughs> yeah. Just we want to fix things, but we don't get around to it. But then there's kind of more serious things that we tolerate, such as bad habits or poor character that your spouse may have. And you, you let it slide, and you let it slide, and you let it slide. And this is the reason you let it slide. Because, you see, you think to yourself, I'm going to tolerate this 
because I have such a good heart of mercy and that I'm just going to look the other way and let this go because I'm going to score points for tolerating. I've got news for you. There are no points. And here's the worst thing about it. Those very things that you've been tolerating, when you boil over, guess what comes out in the fight that you're having? All the things that you were tolerating come out, and they spill out in the person, and now you tell them what you really think. Uh-huh. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning, and I'm talking about me? All right. So, um, let's move on to acceptance. Let's get something positive. Now, most marriages live or die on this rung of acceptance. Um, they simply survive right there. Okay? And the reason they do that is because they accept the status quo of their marriage. And they, they just say, like, you know what? I want more for my marriage, but I'm okay with this. I can live here, and uh, I'll, I'll make it through. So when somebody asks you, how's your marriage? The answer is fine. Fine. We, we're, doing, we're doing great. You know, we, we're getting along. We try our best to stay out of each other's hair. That, that's, that's, you know, more like tolerance and accepting. Uh, what kind of a marriage you have when you have to stay out of each other's hair? Enjoy it while they have it. So, uh, you know, statements like, well, that's just the way it is. I've come to live with it. You know, it is what it is. So if they say that, it is what it is, right? And that is what? Acceptance is where you just live there. Well, let's move on. Let's take a step up to endorsement. Now, endorsement is a great place to be because it's not merely accepting the person as they are, but actually honoring your spouse uh, for their uniqueness. Yeah, you're endorsing them. So when somebody asks you, how's your marriage? What happens is compliments flow out of you, out of the overflow. Because you're really honoring the person that you love most in your life. And you're saying great things about them. And it comes easy because you are endorsing them. That's it. It's easy enough. So uh, when you poke the bear, what comes out? Endorsement, statements of love. Now how do you get to the... Top one, admiration. The only way you can move from endorsement to admiration is through humility. Through humility. Why is that? Because uh, here you have to acknowledge your spouse's strengths. And uh, you, what you acknowledge about them is th that their strengths actually make your marriage better. And when you look at it, you, 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 there's no jealousy involved with this admiration, you are truly humbled by what they bring to the table, what they bring to the marriage. It's like you go, whoa, that is phenomenal. That's huge. Just look at you. We're so much better because of the strengths that you have. I'm not intimidated by the strengths, but I'm humbled by what you, what you bring. And, and I love you for it. Romans 12 verse 10 says... Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourself. Let me talk about Jackie. You know, um, Jackie 
was executive pastor in our, both our previous ministries. What does executive pastor look like? The executive pastor runs the administration of the church, everything to do with it, oversees all the staff. I can't remember back in South Africa, I know we had nine pastors, uh, pastoral couples, and I don't know how many staff members we had, I can't actually remember. But here, I remember we had 27 in our previous church, and uh, Jackie oversaw that. She oversaw the children's church. She actually wrote programs for the children's church. And she, where there was no teacher, she would get in and teach. And uh, we had a children's church pastor. We had uh, Paul was our music pastor. Jackie oversaw the music. She had everything to do with the music. She was involved overseeing the music and overseeing Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul was also in charge of the maintenance of the building. And Jackie oversaw the maintenance of the building. So anything that moved, she was involved with it. In fact, when you wanted to speak with Jackie on a Sunday, and you'd come up to ask her something, she would say this, walk with me, walk with me, because she was on the way somewhere. She never stood still. She was too busy to stand still. She was getting things done. And so you had to walk and talk with her if you wanted to get something. You remember Cheryl's nodding her head because Cheryl was in charge for one time of our whole ushers. And uh, she's trying to, yep, that's what happened. Jackie also taught at Bible college, and she wrote lessons for Bible college. She's taught at Bible college. And then from time to time, she did the teaching on Sunday. She hated that. She really didn't want to be in the limelight at all. She didn't want to sit in the front. If we went to conventions, she would not sit in the front row with me at all. She didn't want to sit anywhere. She wanted nothing to do with being in front of people or, or, or limelight. Very, very humble. Now, Jackie was, uh, uh, I think when I asked her about what, you know, what's this all about, she would say this to me. She, she would say, I will do everything in my power to make your vision come to pass. She gave her life to make our vision come to pass. And then, you know, what she did is our, our, both our children went to ORU. Um, they were there together. So we got pastoral discounts because we're pastors, and then we got sibling discounts because both our children were at the same time. But for two years, Jackie gave up her salary completely and paid 100% of her salary towards the student fees so that the tuition was taken care of. And when they came out of college, there was no debt. That's the girl that you see up the front sitting here today. <laughs> Pastor Appreciation Day. Okay, so don't let this go to your head. It's... Secret number 10, have good sense of humor. No, secret number 10 is recognize, recognize and admire the differences that, that you have with your spouse and the huge differences. Um, one of the differences is personality. Two different personalities. One could be an extrovert, one could be introvert. And that's exactly how we are. I was the extrovert. She was introvert if you didn't know. Okay. Um, you know, at our first family luncheon that we had these were a few years after being married um, Jackie began crying at the table got up and left because she couldn't handle the Italian type discussion going on at the table because we were a rowdy bunch we all spoke at the same time we were all just talking about different things and and talking across the table and, and then pass the potatoes please and then go on and whatever it is and she couldn't handle it because she was raised in the family who didn't talk at the table. Didn't, didn't talk. This was shut up and eat. Don't talk. 
Okay? But we were a rowdy bunch. Do you know the first date that I took Jackie on? I'm talking about an expensive date. I was a college student, all right? Um, and I'd taken her out to date. So I took her to a fancy restaurant, and she ordered a nice meal and then didn't eat it. And I go, what is this with you? Well, I, you know how much it cost me to come out and have this meal with you? It's supposed to be a, a wonderful date. She was too shy to eat the food. So, you know, what happened is that Jackie uh, naturally trended towards doing bookkeeping, accounting, CPA. Because she had farther rather work with the numbers and books than with people. That was who she was. She's laughing. It's the, it's the truth. That's who she was. Okay. But people love to be around her. But, uh, you know, that was it. I mean, I think for friends in her life, maybe you can count on one hand or three fingers the friends that she actually has. She just doesn't have any friends because that's what she was. That's just the way she was. So now there's backgrounds as well. If you think about the backgrounds that you have when you come to a marriage, you bring that baggage with you, right? Different backgrounds and different ways of upbringing. Now, not only do we have that in the marriage, we also have that in the church setting. Um, in today's church world, um, what happens is people circulate. They go from church to church and until the Lord tells them it's enough, your season's over. And then the Lord takes them to another church until the season's over. And then the Lord takes them to another church until their season's over. Uh, because the season ends when the pastor says something they don't like. That's how seasons end. Uh, but anyway, uh, when you go from church to church, what happens is you take baggage with you. You take all of the years of baggage from all the churches you've been in, and you bring that with you. And then you use that baggage to do an analysis of this speaker and of their church and the love in the church and the music. And you do an analysis. And if it doesn't fit you know, your jigsaw, then you go looking for a church that fits that perfect puzzle. And that's what happens in a marriage. Uh, different relationships, different things you've been involved with, you bring it into this relationship, and then you have all kinds of problems. Uh, strengths and weaknesses, you need to admire the differences between them. All right? So... Jackie has a tremendously strong will. I mean, unbelievable. Okay? The strongest will of any person I've ever encountered in my life. Okay? Now, had she not had that strong will, she'd be dead now. Because it was that very thing that some people would have thought is obnoxious, was the very thing she was able to use to stand against the demonic attacks, the sickness, the weakness, and everything else, and to stand in hope, and to be positive, and to shout, I'm fabulous, and let's move on. And when things were difficult in the church, she was the one that said, we can do this, we don't quit now, we're moving ahead, and so on. So, if you're married to somebody with a very strong will, don't try and break their will. Don't try and reduce their will to, to your level. Because two weak-willed people are going to fail anyway. You at least need somebody with a strong will to be able to hold this thing together. But that doesn't mean you have a strong will that you dominate the other person just because you have a strong will. You need to use that strong will for the good of the family and for the good of the two, not as a domineering tool. All right, I'm preaching better than you saying amen. I expected all the people with strong wills to shout amen. All right. Now... <clears throat> So she has that great thing. But on the other hand, she has no sense of direction. Nada. Nothing. Maps came out too late. 
she had already stopped driving 21, 22 years ago. You know, we, our town that we lived in wasn't very big, and we lived in the city. We lived in the city. Yeah, you remember this one? Yeah, you know what I'm going to tell them, huh? What am I going to tell them? Yeah. That's right. She couldn't find me. We went to the bank, people. We went to the bank, and I needed the document that I didn't have. So she said, I'll go quickly. I jumped in the car. There was no parking there. So she went home. Literally two minutes. Okay, two minutes. I mean, we're not talking about more than six blocks. She went home. An hour later, I'm standing outside the bank. What happened to my wife? Where are you, sweetheart? And then I see her coming down the road. And I'm going like this, and she pulls up. She says, oh, I'm so glad I found you. I said, I've been here the whole time. I'm not the one that's lost. What happened to you? She said, I forgot where I left you. And I didn't know how to find the bank. So I said, so what did you do? She said, I was driving all around, all around the city. I couldn't find it. So I went back to our apartment, and then I started driving up and down every single road in the town, in the city, every single road. I'm glad you were standing out here, because I would have missed you. So I took a license away from No. When we came to San Diego, the problem was exasperated, because we were living in a small, I mean, Escondido is the size we were living in. That was our big city, Durban, okay? We came here. Thomas Guide was not enough. Maps weren't out there. Remember, Thomas Guide was the way. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. So somebody, I can't really call them cell phones, but a mobile phone system had just come out. I mean, it was huge. It was this size. And we had to put them in the car. We had to bolt them into the floor. Remember that? It stood up like this and had this. People are laughing. So somebody gave me one of these things. I was what do we do with this thing? I mean, it took up half the space in the front of the car. So we put in Jackie's car. And then she would call the office. I'm lost. And I would say, do you got your credit card and your toothbrush? You okay? <laughs> and I'd say to her, find the nearest cross street. Tell me where you are. And then she'd give me the cross street. Then I would direct her from there back to the ministry. Because she was lost. She went out to get something. And who takes a three-hour lunch break? <laughs> Couldn't find a way home. And on the, other, on the other side, I have a photographic memory when it comes to direction. I can go anywhere one time, and I know exactly how to get there, and that's the end of the story. We come to San Diego. I look at the maps. I go, okay, we're going to go. We'll jump in the car, and off we go. Up the freeways, whatever it is, find the stuff and come back. The kids say, how do you know where to go? I said, I don't know. I just know. We were on the ships. We were on the ships and we'd be docking in foreign ports. And I'd pick up the map of the city of the foreign port. It didn't matter if it was Venice. It didn't matter what city. It was Rome. Pick it up and I'd have a look and I'd study this. I said, put it down. Let's go. And we'd go into the city. And we would go and I'd go to the wheelchair and whatever it was. Knew my way around come back. And next time we stopped the pork, I didn't even use, I didn't even use the map because I knew where I had to go. I don't know how that happens, but thank God we're a little opposites here. Okay, can you imagine if we both had bad direction? We'd still be trying to find the church service this morning. So, 
You, you thank God for the, for the differences. Amen? Amen. And then there's one more I'll tell you. Uh, as you know, she turned out to be a CPA. She was good with numbers and figures. She was phenomenal with this. Okay, so, and me, opposite side of the scale. Nada. Don't understand a thing about credits and debits. Nothing. <laughs> Can't balance a... Cannot, never ever in all my life did I ever balance my bank account or my checkbook. No, that's why you got a bank. <laughs> Couldn't figure it out. Or marry somebody like Jackie who can figure it out and work these all things out and tell you where you are and what's going on. She was phenomenal with that. But anyway, secret number 11. Secret number 11 is earn the trust of your spouse. Earn the trust of your spouse. You see, trust gives your relationship strength and value. Jackie had the stroke, and we were lying in the ER. They were about to admit her into hospital. And they'd done MRIs and CAT scans on her brain. And uh, as she was passing out, going into unconsciousness and losing her vision and her speech, she was going blind and she was going mute. She said this to me. The second last statement she said, am I going to die? She asked me, am I going to die? And we've never held anything back from each other. I've always believed, tell the person exactly where they are so they can believe. Don't tell them everything's fine. Fine, you're going to be fine. In the meantime, they're busy dying or something. And I said to her, the doctors have said, this is probably it. You're going to go home. So we used that time before she became unconscious to say goodbye. We said our goodbyes to each other. I told her how much I loved her and how much I appreciated her as a mother for our children and what a great wife she'd been. And she said the same about me, how much she loved me and how grateful she was to be married to me and the husband and the father. And we kissed and we said goodbye. I will tell you something. It's a privilege to be able to say goodbye. Many people have harsh words the morning he or she walks out the home to go to work and you never think anything is going to happen. And you never see the person again. And then your memory is filled with the last words that you spoke to the person. They get snapped away. And then there's this remorse that you live with. So I said to her, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray and believe God for, for him to heal you. And she said to me, you do what you think is right. And I laid my hands upon her and I prayed with all the faith that I had that you'd be healed by the stripes of Jesus and through the power of the name of Jesus. The point of the story is she allowed me to make the decision to do what you think is right, live or die. You decide. That's what it means to be the head of the family. That's what it means, as I explained last week, where you have to take responsibility for the decision. And it's not just, ooh, another 100 bucks for the building fund. Beautiful. It's growing every week. Anyway, so, so the point of the matter is, 
uh, having that opportunity. But you see, here's the thing. I'm talking about trust. She trusted me to pray the prayer and to do what I believe was the right thing to do. You see, trust is what keeps the relationship together. Without trust, your relationship's going to fall apart. Now, trust means that you're vulnerable to being hurt. But it also means you're open to being healed. Okay? If you trust somebody, they can hurt you, especially if they break your trust. You're at risk. But you know what? You can never really have a relationship of love, true love and happiness, until you trust the person you're in the relationship with. There's all, you're always going to be living on eggshells, on a knife edge. When is the next shoe going to drop? Because there's no trust. When there's trust, there's this peace. There's this absolute relaxing. There's a relaxing that takes place, and you open your heart. You open your heart to the person, and you know they're not going to hurt you by words that they say or things that they do. There's this trust relationship that you have. You understand where I'm coming from? All right, maybe it's more felt than... Than, than taught, you know. Uh, trust is earned over time, but can be broken in a moment. It doesn't matter how much trust you have developed and how strong the trust is, it can still be broken in a moment. So what happens when you break trust? Well, first of all, let me just say this. It's unrealistic for you to think that your trust will never be broken. Why? Because we're just humans. We're not perfect beings. But I don't want you to hide your bad behavior behind the excuse of, I'm just human. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, honey, I'm just human. You know that it is. So don't, don't, don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. Okay? You need to earn the trust. So if you break someone's trust, you can't rebuild it until you take responsibility for breaking it. So acknowledging that you are the party at fault if you broke the trust, you have to take responsibility for that and confess it and repent of it for having broken that trust. Because remember something, trust is something we earn. We earn it. So never get into a situation or relationship where somebody says, well, you just have to trust me. Oh, hell no. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't you, get, don't you go down that road. Don't you? Why? Because you have to deserve the trust. Right? How do you deserve the trust? By doing trustworthy things. By living a life that's trustworthy. So you have said something and you've done it and you've fulfilled it. You keep on doing trustworthy things. And this is how trust is earned. But if somebody has broken the trust and then they make this promise, well... I promise you I'll never do it again. Well, here's the thing. How can you make a promise to be trustworthy when you broke a promise to be trustworthy? Now your promises are no good. So now it's going to take time. Can you see that? Like the proof is in the pudding. We'll see how many times you make a promise and keep them. Are you honestly going to live a life full of trust? Now, 
You know that I, I, I shared with you that I had, I had broken Jackie's trust by pouring my time and effort into the ministry to, to ignoring my family. So I made the ministry my mistress, caring for other people, ignoring my family. And then you know that I repented sincerely about it and corrected. But here's the problem. It only took two years for me to backslide, if you understand what I'm talking about. I, I broke this promise that I had made. I moved back into the same condition where I was once again putting too much effort into the ministry, working too hard in the ministry, doing other things to the neglect of my family. And what happened was that our arguments became very, very severe, really bad. Terrible things were said. <clears throat> to the point where we felt that there was no way that we could resolve it or salvage this marriage. And so we agreed to get a divorce. Now, you know that I told you this, that I, promised, I, I said to her, we're never going to get divorced. Well, that lasted about, I guess it was 22 years. It was not a bad run. But still, we reached the place where we felt there was no reconciliation. It was impossible. So we had a family meeting. We brought the children in, and we told the children that we were going to get a divorce. We told them that we loved them, and we loved each other, but we couldn't live with each other. It was a ridiculous situation. You really love somebody, but you can't live with them. Because we hadn't learned some of the things that I'm sharing with you now. So we made this decision. We're going to get divorced. We used the D word. We spoke it all out. In those words that we said, when we said that, we broke our original marriage covenant with our words. You say, I do with your words, and you say, I don't with your words. So we broke it. Well, that night, in the middle of the night, around 2 o'clock in the morning, I was awakened, pitch dark room. I was awakened. And standing at the foot of my bed was a person. My eyes are wide open like they are now. I was having an eye-open, wide-open vision. person was standing at my bed, looked like a woman, all right? Um, if I had known uh, Mexican-Filipino descent, that's what it looked like, because we didn't have any of them in South Africa. But that's what they were, sallowed skin, heavy set, about four foot, eight, five foot at the most. Um, at, at my bed. I'm not going to give you more details about the person, but... I closed my eyes and I opened my eyes and they were still there. I did it a second time because I, I, I want to be sure that I'm actually not just imagining it. So I closed my eyes and I opened. The room is pitch dark, but I can see them personally. I mean perfectly. And then I just, my light and quick brain, I realized this is a spirit. So I said, in the name of Jesus, and this thing disappeared. It was sucked out like it was vacuumed out of the room. It just went like this, right in front of my eyes. Right in front of my eyes, it went out. And I said, I said, God, what was that? And he said, the Spirit of God said to me, it was a spirit of divorce that you allowed into your family. You opened the door for it to come in. You, not Jackie, you. I rolled out of bed onto my knees and I repented before the Lord, wept bitterly took authority of the spirit of divorce. In the morning, I told Jackie what had happened. So I realized that a demonic force had come into our life, into our marriage, and was bringing about this divorce 
to destroy the marriage and destroy the ministry and our children's lives. But that I, as the head of the family, had not realized and taken the authority and corrected what was wrong. So I repented to her. I asked her, please, to give me another opportunity. And if she would, I would, for the rest of my life, do what's right. And thank God she did. We then did another marriage ceremony to remarry because we had broken our vows. That was 33 years ago. And I've never, ever broken that vow again. Never. We're talking about trusting someone and also what happens when you break the trust. Um, It was the third day Jackie was busy dying. She'd had the stroke, and the left side of her brain was swelling up and crushing the right side into the inner wall of the skull. Um, and the surgeon called me aside, and he said, Listen, uh, sh your wife has about two hours to live. There's nothing more we can do for her. The, the, the fluid, the brain fluid, is now pushing down the spine. It's a sealed unit. There's nowhere it can go. She's going to die. We have one alternative we can do is we can cut a hole in her head, take the bone, the skull out of her head, make an incision in her stomach, and put it into her stomach. And we've got about a four-day window uh, because then infection will set in. Well, Jackie is very allergic to antibiotics. So I said, what would you do? He said, we'd put on antibiotics. I go, oh, that's good. Yeah. That's the only way out. So um, he said, but we've got to operate right now. So I went into the waiting room. That We had a special waiting room. Cindy was there, Hayne, my sister was there, and Jackie's sister. Um, and I, I said, this is what the, the surgeon is saying. Well, we discussed it amongst ourselves, and we knew that Jackie didn't want to, uh, if they made a mistake and, you know, she came out of the stroke or whatever it was, and then she was drooling out the side of the mouth and couldn't speak and couldn't anything, Jackie wouldn't want to live like that, okay? Um, throughout her lifetime, she's been very vain, Anything she could do to make herself look beautiful, she did. Anything to, to, to make herself look beautiful, she did it. Whether it's face peels, it doesn't matter. She wanted to look beautiful, and she wanted to look beautiful for, for me, for nobody else. But she would never want to be in that situation. And, you know, vanity knows no pain, so that's why she did those things. But nevertheless, we know her condition and her heart. We prayed about it. And we decided not to go ahead, not to do the surgery. And so we told the surgeon, and he was furious. I had power of attorneys, which I shown him that I could make the decision for her. So he went off, and about 10 minutes later, I was standing at the door of the waiting room, and Hayne came down towards me. Hayne was 27 at the time. He came down to me, and he said to me, Mom says you must make the call. And I go, What? Mom can't speak and she's blind. She's mute and she's blind. She's got pipes everywhere. She's unconscious. She can't talk. She can only squeeze her hand a little bit like this if you ask her a question. How does she talk? And how does she make that? She doesn't even speak like that. He said, I was with the surgeon and the nurse. We went into the room and the surgeon woke her up and said to her, this is your condition. And we have to operate now or you're going to die. I need your permission. Because if you could get permission from Jackie, he could override me. She opened her eyes and she spoke and she said, my husband will make the call. And she went blind and mute again right there in front of Hayne's eyes. 
And Hain came and told me this while I'm standing in the waiting room. Well, when he told me this, all strength left my body. I fell on the floor. I had no strength in my body, just absolutely faded. I mean, we talk about people falling down here. Nothing like falling on the floor in the hospital. No catches. No carpet. I just crumbled. And lying there weeping on the floor, I realized something very profound. We had a love relationship. We had a love relationship. We, we, married, we were married then now 29 years. But what I didn't know is how much she trusted me. A few days earlier, she said, you pray the prayer, whatever prayer you want to do. Now she said to the surgeon, my husband will make the call whether I live or die, whether you operate or not. And uh, the weight and responsibility of making a decision whether your loved one lives or dies was overwhelming. And the trust that she had put into me was overwhelming. And right at that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he said, that's the trust you need to have in me. See, people want me as Savior, but they don't want me as Lord. As Lord, I get to make the decisions in their life. Live or die. Small decisions, big decisions. You need to tell the people that they need to have me as Lord, not just as Savior. I'm lying on the floor weeping about Jackie. The Holy Spirit doesn't care. He's going to talk to me. It doesn't matter. But he used that opportunity to speak to my heart and my life. And this is the reason why I focus so much on discipleship and so much on Jesus being Lord and not just praying a little prayer. A little salvation prayer doesn't get it done. It's like being inoculated against the vaccine. I mean, with the vaccine, you still get COVID. Doesn't matter. And you get, you pray the little prayer, may not work. You've got to have a lifestyle afterwards. Well, my time is up. We'll stop here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's have every eye closed. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to share secrets from our life that have been life-changing. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have brought us to this place where after 50 years, we know each other so well. We appreciate each other's differences. We honor each other. We admire each other. We thank you, Lord, that the love has grown deeper and richer far deeper than it was in the very beginning, 50 years ago. Thank you for the journey you've brought us on. I pray for every person here, Lord, married or unmarried, that they could experience the life of love, the admiration, the honor, the respect with their spouse. That they could have peace and joy, fulfillment, beauty, in tough times and in good times. But we know, Lord, that without you being the center of our marriages, we would have failed hopelessly. Jesus, you ought to be Lord of our lives. Make decisions for us. 
And we yield to those decisions as you lead us by your Spirit. While every eye is closed. Friend, I appeal to you today. If you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Giving your life to him. Sacrificing all. And saying, Jesus, here, take my life. You have it. You take control, Jesus. Thank you for your salvation and for your forgiveness. But I want you to run my life. I want to be your disciple. Yes, I want you to forgive me. But I want you in my life every day, in every way. If that's something you need to do today because you haven't given God a chance, would you do it? Wherever you are, you say, Pastor Henry, that is, that is me. I need to make the decision to become a disciple of Jesus. I want him to be Lord of my life. I don't want to pray a quick prayer and leave here and never come back. I want to give my life to Jesus and have him take control of my life. If that's you and you want me to pray with you this morning, just raise your hand wherever you are. If that's you, you've got to give your life to God today. You've got to give your life to him, never to take it back, to walk with him the rest of your life forever. I'm going to ask one more time. I'm not going to push anybody. If you'd like to receive the Holy Spirit this morning, you love Jesus with your heart, but you'd love to receive the Holy Spirit. Baptized by Jesus with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking other tongues, and have the gifts operating in your life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? You're a believer, you love the Lord, but you haven't received that gift that God wants to give you. Would you raise your hand? All right. Father, we thank you for the service today. We thank you that you spoke to our hearts. We so appreciate you, Holy Spirit, uh, for dealing with us so gently, for helping the marriages here today. And I thank you, Lord, that every single person here today is the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you're Lord of their life and that every day they will look to please you in everything that they do, in serving you, in generosity, in prayers, in quiet times, and being the godly person you want them to be. Lord, we bless this congregation and we thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's have our prayer team come up here, our ministry team. If you need prayer for anything, whatever, come on up now and they will be happy to pray with you. God bless you. I'll continue next week if you want me to. All right, three of you. All right. All right, the Lord bless you. You have a good week now.